Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with Joe Sorallo. Here we go. Sorallo Sports Talk is live from Radio Row in Los Angeles at the LA Convention Center. It's day two here ahead of Super Bowl 56. We've got a great guest lineup the rest of the week. Today, kicking things off, content creator and social media superstar Annie Agar is joining the show. I cannot wait to sit down with her. It's the LA Rams, the Cincinnati Bengals, and the highest seeded Super Bowl matchup in the history, in the 56-year history of the big game. A couple of four seeds going at it at SoFi Stadium in L.A. this Sunday. And let's take a look at where these two teams were a year ago. Because my first show last year at Radio Row in Tampa Bay that week was two days after Matthew Stafford had just been traded to the Rams in the trade that broke football. The Rams sent Jared Goff and mortgaged their future, throwing in Years of draft picks, multiple first-round draft picks to Detroit to get Stafford because he was the guy that Sean McVay, Les Snead, and the Rams believed was necessary to take them to that next level. Not to NFC champs, which they were just three years ago, but to Super Bowl champs. And here they are, their second crack at it in four years, but no longer with Jared Goff, with Matthew Stafford in year one in Los Angeles for him. You know, a year ago, when that trade was made, we knew that Stafford was the missing piece for the Rams. They got there with Goff, couldn't finish it, couldn't seal the deal, and Stafford was going to be the guy, at least they believed, could take them to the next level. And they finished this season with the four seed in the NFC, hit a little bit of a lull in the middle of the season. There was that embarrassing loss to Tennessee. The 49ers got the best of them twice for six straight wins for Kyle Shanahan and company. And the Rams, entering the playoffs, figured, well, at least the rest of us figured the Rams had no shot, right? You have Green Bay, who had an incredible season. Aaron Rodgers is going to be named the MVP in just two days. You have Tampa Bay with Tom Brady and company, the defending champs. And as the four seed, it just didn't seem like the Rams were going to do it in year one with Stafford. But throughout the course of the season... They made more deals, right? It didn't stop with Stafford last offseason. It was Von Miller coming in from Denver. It was Odell after his release from Cleveland. The L.A. Rams have gone all in this season, and at least to this point, it's paid off. But because they've mortgaged their future in such a way, bringing in Stafford, bringing in Von Miller, the Rams and Bengals could not be in any different positions here This week, it is Super Bowl or bust for the Rams. Not make the Super Bowl or bust, win the Super Bowl or bust. And the Cincinnati Bengals, if you look at where this franchise was a year ago, they are in the exact opposite situation. The Bengals coming off six wins in the past two seasons combined. We're playing with absolute house money this year. Year two for Joe Burrow, as many people will remind you, was essentially year one for the former number one overall draft pick, 
former Heisman Trophy winner, former college football national champion. By the way, if Burrow and the Bengals get it done, first quarterback ever to win a Heisman, a college championship, and a Super Bowl. Only one player has done it, and that was, of course, the great Charles Woodson winning the Heisman and college championship at Michigan, and then a Super Bowl with the Green Bay Packers. But Joe Burrow and the Bengals were playing with house money this season. They had low expectations in the AFC North, which was deemed arguably the best division in football. I think coming into the season, people thought the AFC North was the consensus pick for best division in football. And then, ironically, the division that the Rams are at of the NFC West challenged it, probably overtook it as the best division throughout the season. But the Bengals were projected to improve. I thought they'd be an 8-9, and 9-8 team, right? I thought that they would be respectable, maybe knock off a division forward to. But at the end of the day, in a division with the Ravens, the Steelers, and the Browns, who almost everyone had the Browns preseason winning that division, I had Baltimore, the Bengals were an afterthought, right? They were not going to finish in the top two. Maybe people thought that they would finish in third ahead of Pittsburgh if Pittsburgh had a down year. But the Bengals were not supposed to be here, while the Rams needed to be here. If the Rams weren't here this week, the season would be deemed a total, complete, and utter bust. And I can't wait to see how the different mentalities, right, the different stigmas surrounding these two teams translates into the big game. Do the Rams come out stiff because all the pressure is on them and in their home stadium, the second straight year, a Super Bowl after never happening in the first 54 big games, the second straight year now, that the Super Bowl is featuring the host city's team. Is all the pressure on L.A.? Do they come out tight? Are they mistake-prone? Do the Bengals just come out loose and slinging it? I mean, don't forget the Cincinnati Bengals. Forget all of the preseason expectations or the lack thereof. I mean, this team is the biggest underdog in the last 25, 30 years to reach the Super Bowl. But forget all that. The Bengals, just a little over a week ago, were down and out and all but eliminated At the hands of the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, 21-3. Talked about it last week on the show with Ross Tucker, that great spot here on Sorallo Sports Talk. The Bengals were down 21-3 just a half of football ago. And now, do they have the advantage being the road team, being relaxed, second-year quarterback, rookie wide receiver? You know, the LA Rams went all in on this season, and it's been Super Bowl or bust for... Over a year, for 53 weeks for L.A., the expectation has been to be in this game. The Cincinnati Bengals, before the start of the regular season, the biggest story surrounding this team was that their fifth pick in the NFL draft, their rookie phenom wideout Jamar Chase, couldn't see the football, couldn't see the laces, couldn't catch. That was the biggest story around the Bengals in training camp. Jamar Chase, the fifth overall pick, couldn't catch. How do you think everyone who was screaming that Cincinnati had to draft Panay Sewell feels now after the season that Jamar Chase just turned in. The best rookie season ever from a wide receiver. Better than Randy Moss. Better than Anquan Bolden. Better than the guy who's playing across from him this Sunday, Odell Beckham Jr. Jamar Chase, two nights from now, will be your offensive rookie of the year. And Jamar Chase has proved everyone wrong. I mean, isn't that such a difference of where these two teams came into the season? Yes, they were both four seeds when they came into the playoffs, but the Rams had Super Bowl or bust attached to their names, and the Bengals' biggest storyline was that their fifth overall pick couldn't see or catch the football. If you ask me, the Rams are, by far, 
and this can't be disputed, the more talented team in this game in Super Bowl 56. You look at their roster, and Los Angeles has at least three Hall of Fame caliber players on each side of the ball. On offense, you've got Matthew Stafford, you've got Cooper Cup, and then you've got OBJ, who whether he makes it or not, whether he has the longevity or not, his talent is indisputably Hall of Fame caliber talent. And the left tackle, Andrew Whitworth, who will be playing in his final game this Sunday at SoFi Stadium. That's three, maybe four on offense. Then on defense, you flip it over, and Aaron Donald, surefire shoo-in. Von Miller, surefire shoo-in. Jalen Ramsey, surefire shoo-in. That is six, maybe seven Hall of Famers on the Rams. Bengals don't have that yet. I mean, first off, the Bengals are too young to even look ahead to that. Like, yes, Joe Burrow has what it takes to probably be a Hall of Fame quarterback when it's all said and done, but things can change in the blink of an eye. Same with Jamar Chase. His talent indicates that it's there, but he's a rookie, right? So the Rams have six or seven guys that will be Hall of Famers. The Bengals are too young to even start that conversation. These two teams could not be any more different. And I'm wondering who the advantage will play to. Will the advantage come in the talent department with the Rams and having the home field advantage in the Super Bowl? Or will the advantage come... From the loosey, goosey, tough, gutsy, ballsy Cincinnati Bengals. It's the matchup of a lifetime here at Radio Row. I can't wait. This whole week leading up to the game is going to be just spectacular. But next up, speaking of spectacular, Annie Agar is all set to join the show. We'll be right back here on Sorallo Sports Talk with me, Joe Sorallo. We're back here on Sorallo Sports Talk, and my next guest is someone you know for her viral, hilarious football videos, but she's also one of the best young up-and-coming superstars covering the game. It's Annie Agar. Annie, thank you so much for joining the show. Of course. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Now, I have to ask you, because we're in an odd era. Young people like the two of us are in this era where traditional broadcasters, like so many people around us at Radio Row, are kind of phasing out, Mm -hmm. and content creators are coming in. So... For you, you started as a traditional reporter. What made you start making these post-game press conference videos that you've blown up for? That's a great question. Yeah, so I knew, you know, from a really young age, I wanted to get into this media world that we're in. I wanted to work for ESPN, like I'm sure a lot of other people did. But seeing how, and I talked to a bunch of people that are in the industry, and they all said, you did the same thing. You start through local news, you work your way up. That's how everybody does it. That's how you have to do it. But I, you know, I didn't like that, first of all, (laughs) because I was very, I'm, I'm not, like, you know, I can't, I can't be just reading a teleprompter. I, I'm sure a lot of people kind of do a really good job of, of it, as we've seen. But I know personally I just can't bring out my personality that way. And when I did, it came across as, you know, it just didn't fit the scene of being a, a sports reporter. So, um, I, but I was still, you know, I was trying to – I thought maybe I just had to hone in on it a little bit more and work on myself and how I did my job. And then I'd get this, you know, opportunity to get to the next level and eventually get to where I wanted to be. Um, and then when everything stopped because of COVID – it just kind of shut down my world because we weren't covering any sports. There weren't any sports to cover. And I turned to TikTok. And I, you know, I just had gotten out of TikTok. I was one of the millennials that said they weren't going to. And then they downloaded it. And, and of course, I wanted to learn everything I could about it because that's what, that's what I think we should all do. If you want to be big on, on social media, you have to not only be a, you know, uh, put out content, you have to be a huge consumer. And that's where I get all my ideas is just from consuming copious amounts of social media. So I was a consumer. I saw how TikTok was working. And I thought this would be a great avenue to launch this sports idea that I had. And I'm so glad I did because it, 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 I'm able to show my personality. And now, you know, I'm on Radio Row covering the Super Bowl because of TikTok and because of social media. So it's a great avenue for sports reporters now, I think, in this day and age, like you said. Yeah, absolutely. I was with you. I was like, look, I'm 23. TikTok's for 16-year-olds. Yeah. 
I'm not getting on there. And then this summer I caved and I got on there. Now, this is your first radio row, your first Super Bowl? It is, yeah. So what's the experience been like for you? You haven't seen the craziness of Wednesday and Thursday yet. Oh, my gosh, not yet. But two days in, how is it? It's it's great. It's so cool to see all like Josiah Johnson is someone I follow, followed on Twitter for a really long time. He does a lot of uh, comedy, usually with NBA, but some NFL stuff. And yeah. I just bumped into him, and I've never, you know, I've never um, met him in person. And all of these people I'm seeing that I know from social media, I've never met. It's great. It's a great way. I, it's it's like what I picture a bunch of influencers getting together, except these are you know 50 year old beat writers and stuff like that but but it is great because you're seeing all these people that you know knows another person that you want to get to know so it's constantly interacting with people and there's never a break never no. a break like after this we'll go to dinner and I'll meet 10 more people that I'll have to remember for tomorrow you know and it's absolutely great but you have to go into it with the mindset of you are here to completely um, make contact with as many people as possible. You're networking as much as possible. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's it's right up my alley because I absolutely love it. So it, it's wild. It's a wild experience. Yeah, You know, people always tell me like, oh, it's a great vacation. It's not a it's vacation. Not. No. It, it, this is no. work. And when you're not working, you're networking. That's what a couple of my followers were saying. Oh, enjoy LA. Like, it's so sunny. And I'm like, I don't even know what the weather is today. I've been <laughs> yeah. in here since 9 a.m. I couldn't even tell you. So Yeah, and it, it feels like work. Minneapolis inside here. Yeah. Are you freezing, oh, freezing. too? Freezing. It's terrible. <laughs> so... When you made the jump over, you know, the height of the pandemic to, you know, content creator as opposed mm-hmm. to reporter, how scary was it for you? Because I know, like, for myself included, putting yourself out there and knowing that the first, you know, it could be the first five videos, the first 500 videos that you make are mm-hmm. going to get no views. How was that mindset for you of like, screw it, I'm putting myself out there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was tough. Um, I think the hardest thing was when, with work, when I worked in local news, I could work 20, 22 hour days and I would have to because we covered, you know, college football and they'd be super long days, but I could just crank it out and I wouldn't have to worry about, you know, if, if I was being creative about it because I was just put I was doing the content that my producers and my bosses wanted. Now with social media and creating my own content, I have to be creative constantly and it's very difficult to force creativity. So I, the, the most stressful thing is thinking, okay, this is my full-time job now. If I don't come up with an idea on Monday after I watch NFL games, for you know 10 hours on Sunday then we've got a problem because that's my job so yeah. it's a lot more pressure I think and there's a lot more um expectation for me to be creative instead of just putting out content which I love because it's a good pressure it's what I want to do uh, but that was the scariest thing because I knew there's no you know one day people might not like my content and I'll completely have to deviate into another branch and it's constant I think about it constantly but as long as people like it I think there's a such a positive and putting out a good video and, and seeing the the feedback from followers and fans makes up for it I'm like okay this is I'm glad I'm doing this, this is what I want to do so anybody out there that's starting up getting into social media the payout is so great you know I know it's stressful and you think oh your videos aren't getting views but then you have that one that hits like a million I'm sure you know people will hopefully get there at some point and then it's just the best feeling in the world so yeah. it's, it's all worth it someday so your videos are fantastic. They are absolutely hilarious. Do you do all the writing yourself or do you have, you write it all yourself. You don't have a team. (laughs) Nope. I do it all myself. How long does that take? It is a process, Joe. It probably, well, let's see, Sundays, I watch the games from mm-hmm. noon Chicago time, um, and then I do a live show with Bally's, my company, um, at like 7 o'clock in between the late game and the, the afternoon games, and then I watch the late game. So that's all, and I take notes, you know, I'll, I'll try and, and figure out kind of the storylines there, but going into actually coming up with the scripts, I and I tell people this, I don't want to just make jokes that I think are funny, because... 
I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm biased. I have a favorite NFL team as everybody does, but I want to make jokes that fit the NFL fan bases too. So I'll get on Twitter and I'll see what the fans are talking about, what jokes they're making or trying to make. And then I'll come up with my own that way, you know, cause I want the jokes to hit and for them to see it and say, Hey, that, like that's, that's a good joke because that's something I would say, or that's, that's how I felt about my team. So that is the longest process. And I will spend I'll wake up Monday morning and I'll go from it's like five or six hours. I'm kidding you, listening oh, wow. to like recaps of the games, re- looking over my notes of them, and then coming up with jokes that kind of fit what what everybody's talking about. That's that's the hardest process. And then when I get in the actual shooting, it's like an hour or two, and hopefully I can crank out a video that I'm proud of. So it's and, a, and that's the, it I think is a process. People don't realize that you know you're talking all day Sunday. Another five, six hours Monday, and that's for a minute-long video yep. that we consume. <laughs> and, it go, and it becomes irrelevant the Thursday that the games start over again. You yeah. Know? Well, that's the it's toughest so thing about our industry is that yeah. things, you know, are relevant and great one day, and the next day it's like on to the yep. next. Yeah. And it is. It's a high. When you when you put out a good video, you're like, oh, great. I'm good. And my family would always say, oh, you can take a break now. You've got a good video. I'm like, nope. I'm starting to plan for the next one already. You know, yeah. it's just continually. And it, that's what consistency is huge in social media. That's how you stay relevant and how you can keep putting out, you know, content that'll, especially on TikTok that'll get your followers up is constantly putting out consistent um content so it just is it's very it's very difficult and, and it's really hard and a lot of dedication but it, the payout is so good so do you have a specific team or a specific fan base that just makes your jokes so much easier <laughs> I mean besides the Dallas Cowboys that's that's the low-hanging fruit in the it industry is. everybody said that in all these interviews today too they were like so who's the franchise that you like to make fun of the most and I'm like it's Dallas, Dallas. it's I don't so know easy why. it's so easy especially this year with the whole the way the playoffs went it's just perfect. your video about you know how to run with 14 <laughs> seconds left that was I, I must have watched thank that six you. times last night thank you it is my favorite that's my absolute favorite thing to do um yeah you know I, I think it just depends on what the storylines are that week because if I, and I know if something happens like I knew when that Dallas thing happened that was going to be the end of the meeting like that was going to be the, the butt of the joke for that that meeting um so I'll just I'll pay attention to what's happening and yeah like the Jets are fun to make fun of because they've just they've just struggled for so long the Lions I love making fun of the Lions Matthew Stafford I'm a fan so oh yeah I love that one (laughs) that was amazing the closest (laughs) Detroit's getting to the Super Bowl I'm gonna I'm just sealed that I'm so glad he's performing in the Super Bowl yeah. yeah stuff like that is just it's great and I there are certain franchises that are very receptive to it too like the Lions will never not follow me because I make fun of their team because everybody does so, yeah. so I appreciate the fans that are open to my to my jokes so I think something that people might not recognize is that in addition to all of these amazing videos that you make your football analysis is pretty spot on so can we talk Super Bowl 56 let's here it. let's do it all right the Cincinnati Bengals yes not only is Joe Burrow like the coolest cat in football right now, but why would they have a shot at beating the Rams, who are so much more talented than the Bengals are on paper? Yeah. You know, you look a little like him with the bling on, on your neck. And wait neck till goes. Thursday when I rock the black turtle. Oh, I love it. That's, I love it. I'm going to yeah. want to picture that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the Bengals, like, the Bengals are in this because of Joe Burrow. There's yeah. no doubt. Joe Burrow is absolutely incredible. He's proven he's clutch. If he wins this game, I've said he might be even considered elite. Like, he might, he's going to surpass Lamar, Lamar Jackson, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, he'll maybe surpass Josh Allen. I mean, we know Josh Allen got a bad rap after that last game, but. But um, he is—he's absolutely clutch, and he—it's amazing that he's two years in. You know, he did—he didn't really even have a rookie year, so the guy's just incredible. You know, if they double team Jamar Chase, he goes to T. Higgins. He can just see the field. He's an absolutely brilliant, brilliant guy, and he can scramble now, which we didn't even know he could do. Uh, so I'm just really impressed. I think he's the main reason their defense. 
Yes, they ad- they um, made an adaption in the last game. Like they came back out, they they shut down Pat Mahomes, but they're still they were 24th against opposing QBR, so they weren't a great defense all throughout the season. We saw them struggle and falter throughout the year. So it's not this defense that's really carrying them. It O-line is Joe stinks. Burrow. It, yeah. Oh yeah, O line is terrible. <laughs> that's why he's got to run. Sacked nine times. Yeah. Poor, yeah, poor Joe Burrow. So it's he's just carrying this team, and he might carry them to a Super Bowl. Do you think he will? Does he have enough in the tank to get past? I mean, the Rams. If you look at them, they have three Hall of Famers at least on just each side of the ball. Right. Right. So is Burrow and his guts going to be enough to get past the Rams and their talent? I look, you're right. This is going to be the toughest D-line he's faced the entire season. And, and you've got Von Miller. You know, you've got OBJ. They, like, this team is the – they put all their chip. They don't care about draft picks. They want to win a Super Bowl. Yeah. And, I, and that's what I said. If, and they got Matthew Stafford, right? Like, if, if you've got Matthew Stafford, who's proven he's an elite quarterback, maybe not at the elite level that, like, Pat Mahomes, obviously Tom Brady, but, you know, he's he can be clutch when he needs to be. Sean McVay, if he doesn't kick himself like he did – against the Patriots in the last Super Bowl, you know, you've got this dream team of guys. You, they, they, they tried to make this team a Super Bowl team. If they don't win this game, I would look back and think, what, what did we do now? Like, we had all the pieces in play. How did we not win this game? So um, I would love to see the Bengals. I would love to see the Bengals win. I'm, I am a Matthew Stafford fan. Like, I love him. I love his family. Um, I think it's going to be an insanely close game, but I think just talent-wise, with you know, you can't. It's just it's Aaron Donald and, and Von Miller. How how are you going to go against somebody like that? And and something you haven't seen all season and win a Super Bowl. It's going to have to be a whole other level of play by Joe Burrow. So yeah, it's going to be tough. Hey, before we wrap things up, Annie, to get here, the Rams had to go through Jimmy G and the 49ers. <laughs> we talk about Dallas being an easy team to make fun oh. of. Is Jimmy G just the easiest player for you oh, to brutalize? So easy, so easy. And I I love making fun of Jimmy G. Poor guy. He, he probably – my producer sometimes is like, why, why don't you work with this player? Why don't you work? I'm like, well, I've insulted him now ten times <laughs> in my videos. That's probably why. Ten times this month, I think. Ten times this month, yes. Uh, Chicago Bears, that was another one that's really fun to make fun of. Yeah, um, yeah I, I even posted something. I had a picture when I got into town, and I, I was on a beach, and I, there, was, <laughs> there was a trash can behind me on the beach. <laughs> and I said, if you look closely, you can see Jimmy G in the background. But there were people in the background, too. So do, some people didn't get the joke. Yeah. I'm like, if you just scan to the right a little bit, there's a trash can right there. Poor guy. <laughs> Poor guy. Um, look, I I tried to ride the Jimmy G, you know, believing in him, but you just you can feel when he's going to throw a last minute pick, and he and he doesn't ever let us down. So, um, I he you know Debo carried that team, and I I feel bad for him. He will not be 49er after this. Trey Lance season is is in full swing, but uh, yeah, he's also a very fun target of my of my jokes. So I'm gonna be sad if he. Uh, doesn't go to a place where I can really make fun of the picture. <laughs> <laughs> is there a preference? Is there a certain team or city? I mean, obviously, Jimmy G in Dallas would be your dream. Yeah. But is there a realistic, like a Tampa, that. Pittsburgh, that you can just really have fun with it? Uh, it'll, it'll depend on Aaron Rodgers. I think Aaron, where Aaron Rodgers goes might be might be a little bit more fun to make fun of. Because if he doesn't stay, I'm going to be I'm going to be very disappointed. Yeah. Um, and I don't also know why he'd go to the AFC when you're playing in a division Herbert, with... Herbert, Mahomes. Yes. I mean, Could you imagine? Makes no, no why sense. Why would you go into a conference that's dominated by quarterback play? Instead, you could be in the NFC North, which is not dominated by quarterback. Probably the opposite of that. Sorry, Jared Goff and Kirk Hunter, <laughs> Justin Fields. Justin Fields, maybe. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a very... The quarterback situation is going to be very interesting this offseason, just like yeah, the coaching situation. You know, we had all these new coaching hires. Um, the whole Brian Flores thing. It's just a weird... It's a weird time in the NFL. And both Jimmy G and uh, Aaron Rodgers, I'm interested to see where they go, but... 
No preference as long as I can make fun of them. What do you think of that, by the way? The lack of diversity right now in the NFL coaching circle. Obviously, Brian Flores' lawsuit. Mm -hmm. What do you make of the problems that the NFL is facing right now? Yeah, you know, we were, I just was talking with um, Scott Hansen last night, obviously host Red Zone. Um, And, you know, it comes down to these guys and their, you know, their... um, their ability, like Eric Bieniemy, we were talking about how he doesn't have a head coaching job, but it's not because of his skin color. We hope not. You know, I'm I'm not I'm not in that situation, so I can't say anything about that. These guys have dealt with you know not getting a head coaching job for so long, and diversity is you know it's such an issue. Just if you're good at your job, get the you know why does yeah. why does that have to be why does skin color have to come into it? It's just so sad because um, these guys are you know some of the best coaches. Eric Bieniemy's great coach you know yeah. i mean four straight coach. conference championships right. guys right. like byron leftwich todd bowles right. i mean right yeah, so it no just sense. it amazes me and i think and I, i'm almost kind of glad that the whole bill belichick text came out because that may not have you know the texans were just about to pull off an absolute scam nobody knew it like nobody they wanted to count everybody knew that of course um but then i think they lovey smith is absolutely great coach as well um and you just hope they didn't hire him as kind of a like a front to say hey like we're we work in hire McCown. We'll, we'll probably hire him as like ROC or something. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I, I think it's just a sad. It shouldn't come down to you know diversity. It shouldn't be political. Just hire. You know what happened to hiring people because they're good. Eric Bieniemy, he's great, but he apparently interviews really poorly because it happened nine times and he didn't get a coaching <laughs> yeah. job. Um, but yeah, it's just a weird. It's a weird situation. Um, yeah, and I don't. I don't want to speak to it because I'm not in their position, so I can't say what they are, or what they're not going through, and. A lot of people um, have said it's just not fair, and I'm, you know, I'm with them. I, I don't understand it. If you're good at your job, you should get a job. Yeah, I agree. And look, there's a lot of problems right now that the NFL has to address after Super Bowl 56. But starting Andy, with overtime rules. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have a lot of listeners in Buffalo, so that, that might have just sunk there the episode. <laughs> Annie Agar, thank you so much. Make sure you follow her across all of her social media platforms for the best content out there. We'll be right back here on Sorallo Sports Talk. It's time for my final word here on this episode of Sorallo Sports Talk. Kicking off the week at Radio Row, it's day two here ahead of Super Bowl 56. And what an incredible spot right there with Annie Agar. That was just like what you see on her social media pages. A ton of absolute 100% fun. What you heard is what you get with her, as authentic as they come. Now, we did touch on briefly the coaching carousel in the NFL. And all nine openings this offseason have officially been filled with the New Orleans Saints and the Houston Texans rounding things out yesterday. So let's take a look at those nine hires. Of the nine hires, one black head coach, Lovey Smith, hired by the Houston Texans, who, by the way, wasn't even a finalist for the job. Houston had narrowed things down to Josh McCown and Brian Flores, who, of course, is suing the NFL. And while I like Lovey Smith a hell of a lot, Something about this hire just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem authentic. It seems similar, not identical, but similar to the David Culley hire from a year ago where you have an organization that is in absolute shambles and they hire a guy who was never on the radar, right? David Culley was never on anyone's radar. Lovey Smith, despite the fact that he's been a head coach at the NFL level, he's been a head coach at the University of Illinois in the Big Ten, he was not on the radar for this job. He was their defensive coordinator a year ago, and they cleaned house, fired Cully, fired their coaching staff. And then all of a sudden, when your two options left are golden boy Josh McCown, who the Texans have wanted to hire for two straight years now, but has absolutely zero experience in any capacity as a coach, just retired from football a couple years ago. And then the other option, 
who is black, Brian Flores, is currently suing the NFL, the hire kind of seemed like Roger Goodell made a phone call to Houston and said, look, Josh McCown, you can't do it. It looks awful. He's white, has no coaching experience. You can't hire him. Brian Flores is suing me. So even though, you know, we want diversity and he's a black coach and he is a successful black coach, look at what Brian Flores did with Miami, exceeding expectations in all three of his years there. You can't hire him because he's suing me. And who did the Texans land on? Lovey Smith. It just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem like, and I'm going to sound like I'm on The Bachelor here, it doesn't seem like he was hired for the right reasons. And so for that to be the only black head coach hired in this cycle, that's very discouraging. Now, you also have Mike McDaniel down in Miami, who I think could pan out to be a good hire. And McDaniel does identify as multiracial. And while looking at him, it might not seem like that is accurate. He did show a lot of players who uh, used to play under him his parents' wedding picture. And yeah, there's no, there's no doubt Mike McDaniel's dad is black. And so there's progress there. There's progress with the Smith hire in Houston, but the progress there is only on paper, right? Because I just detailed exactly why the Smith hire in Houston doesn't come across as authentic. And when you look at some of the guys hired to be head coach, I made a list, and I believe I shared that list on this show the day after the regular season ended. There were 10 potential head coach candidates on that list. It was the best 10 head coaching candidates that I could find. Seven of them were black. So with nine openings, you would think that there should have been at least six black head coaches hired. And to have one, and then Mike McDaniel on top of that, it just doesn't sit right with me. You look at some of the guys hired, Matt Eberflus in Chicago. You know, Chicago is a market where I think having a black head coach would go a long way. There's no doubt it goes further in some markets than others. And I think Chicago is a market that it would be tremendous because it would be representative of not only the players, 70% of the NFL players are black, but also representative of the fan base. Now, Eberflus was a great defensive coordinator. I'm not going to sit here and dispute the success the past two years, especially that Indianapolis has had on the defensive side of the ball. But look at some of the other great defensive coordinators in football. Let's look at the guy who's playing in this game this Sunday, this little thing we call the Super Bowl that everyone's in Los Angeles for, Raheem Morris out with the Rams. I mean, Raheem Morris got a shot to be a head coach in Atlanta that was the least legitimate shot you could imagine. It was like a David Culley-esque shot to be a head coach. Raheem Morris had nothing to work with on the defensive side of the ball in Atlanta. You bring him here to L.A., and he's done a superb job. Another guy, D'Amico Ryans, who was opposing Morris and the Rams, right? The 49ers defensive coordinator, who took that team, despite a practically handicapped secondary, and took them to the NFC Championship game, riding their front seven and their schematic improvements. D'Amico Ryans should have been a head coach before Matt Eberflus. You've got Nathaniel Hackett out in Denver, the Green Bay Packers offensive coordinator. I mean, this is where you lose me, right? Two of the nine head coaches hired were offensive coordinators for the Green Bay Packers and the Los Angeles Rams. Kevin O'Connell being the other who was hired by Minnesota. You and I can be the offensive coordinators in Green Bay and L.A., right? When you're dealing with Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams or Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup and Odell Beckham Jr., it's pretty damn easy to be an offensive coordinator in those systems, especially here in L.A. where Sean McVay, the head coach, is the one calling the plays. So it does make me wonder. If O'Connell and Hackett got jobs, why was Byron Leftwich left out? Why was Jim Caldwell 
who is a great offensive mind and any team with a young quarterback that needs a turnaround in their offensive system could use him. Why, why were Caldwell and Leftwich overlooked? You know, Caldwell should have been the guy in Jacksonville where Doug Peterson got the job. Now, look, Doug Peterson has a Super Bowl ring, and you can't take that away from him. But I've said this on record many times before. Frank Reich was the most instrumental coach in that Eagles Super Bowl run. Frank Reich is the guy who completely redefined, tailored that offense to fit Nick Foles and his strengths when Carson Wentz, who was having an MVP season, went down with that torn ACL. Frank Reich was more instrumental in that Super Bowl than Doug Peterson was. And for a franchise like Jacksonville that has fired four head coaches in four years, the Jaguars not only needed an offense and a change in a leader, but they needed an entire remodeling of their culture. And Jim Caldwell, I think, uh, even ahead of Byron Leftwich, would have been the perfect guy to completely turn around and fix the culture in Jacksonville. And oh, by the way, groom a stud of a quarterback and former number one overall pick Trevor Lawrence while doing so. Now look, some of the other hires, Dennis Allen with the Saints, yes, Eric Bieniemy. You know, the fact that he doesn't have a job anywhere is shocking, but Dennis Allen has been with the Saints a long time, and the Saints this year had no offense, one with a lot of defense. I can understand the Allen hiring. Mike McDaniel, I mean, what he did with San Francisco, didn't have a strong quarterback in Jimmy G, won't have a strong quarterback in Tua. I don't think Tua really has much zip on his ball or much arm strength, but McDaniel can cater the offense towards his strengths. So I like that hire. Dayball with the Giants. You all know Brian Flores was my top choice, but Brian Dayball, for me, is a pretty damn good consolation. And the second the Giants hired Joe Shane, you knew Dayball was the guy. So I really don't have any qualms with that decision. But other coaching hires like Eberflus, Hackett, O'Connell, when you're dealing with jobs that could have gone to D'Amico Ryans in Minnesota or a Byron Leftwich in Chicago or, you know, a Jim Caldwell in Jacksonville over Peterson. I thought Brian Flores in Denver would have been a great fit prior to this lawsuit. You know, it's four teams right there that went with white head coaches that I think not only would it have obviously looked better to give a black head coach the shot, but I think that I just named four black head coaches in four cities that would have fit better than their white counterparts who were ultimately hired. Just my two cents now that the coaching cycle is complete, but I do know this, and this really isn't subjective, that going into the 2022 NFL season, to have just two black head coaches, and I believe just five either multiracial or minority head coaches in a league of 32 teams that is 70% black in terms of the players in that league, that doesn't cut it. And just like that, this day two episode at Radio Row of Sorallo Sports Talk is up. It's over. It's out of here. Special thanks to Annie Agar for joining the show in that incredible spot, guys. We've got amazing guests lined up all week. Three more episodes of absolute fun. So stick with us. I'll see you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.